0: been interesting seeing the questions that have come in. Uh, a lot of them have more theological leanings, and so I've, when I've been asking folks to participate, I have the elders and wives able to participate, and then uh, some of the other folks I've asked have suggested that they be more of the practical application. And so I want to encourage you... Um, If questions arise in your mind that are of the practical nature, uh, these couples and others uh, are standing ready to talk to you, and I would just highlight, you know, the Du Bois, uh, my folks, the older Godshaws, the Pages, the Martins, these are kind of some of the, uh, how how do you say this? (laughs) Seasoned. uh, Well-seasoned. Uh, parents in the congregation. So, uh, right. <laughs> uh, they they may not even remember exactly what they did uh, when you ask some of your questions about uh, daily routines, but I think the wisdom that can be gleaned will be helpful. Um, but we're going to go in order with the questions and, and I'm just going to let the elders and wives just kind of take the floor and We're just going to talk this through to give you some ideas to help you start thinking biblically and recognize that every area of parenting uh, requires this biblical foundation. Um, And so the first question that I pulled out of the box was, is a Christian couple required biblically to have children? Is a Christian couple biblically mandated to have children? Now, most of you in the room um, aren't asking that question right now, but you may encounter, uh, especially more and more in our culture, young couples approaching marriage, and they may be asking this question, like, uh, some of you grew up in the 60s or 70s, and you may have heard of Christians, because of Cold War and stuff, saying, should we even have children in this kind of a world? Um, Some may still ask that question. So let's consider, is a Christian couple required biblically to have children? Um, And let me just say that, at least in the answers that I would have, there's some general questions and answers that come along with that question. There may be some scenario that is rather irregular. It's not the norm of how most believers are living. And there may be some faith filled reason why a couple would not have children. Um, but I would just start with the premise that, that that would be somewhat unusual, but it may not necessitate any kind of judgment. It's just there may be some unique cases. And so we're going to address kind of more the norm than some exception because in answering this question, you could get into, um, I've, I've heard this question in missions, conversations and in certain contexts of missions. Some people asking, should I even get married if I feel God has called me to this kind of mission work? Uh, If I am married, should I have children? Um, Okay, so there are exception kind of fringe areas where more would need to be said. Let's talk more general in should a Christian couple have children. And we're speaking to those who have had children and uh, what some people would say large families. So, do um, you want me to start or do you want to start? <laughs> We're not good I'm, at panels. I'm perfectly so.
1: happy to, to start. I don't mind doing it, but Great. You, you please know, do. You can always shoot me down if you choose to. Um, my thoughts on this one was that while there's no New Testament command to have children, uh, there's not any repeal of the first command in the Garden either, to be fruitful and multiply. Um, And and that command precedes the giving of the law of Moses, and and it really, I believe, transcends um, all of time and culture. And I think for most, uh, most of Christian history, you'll find that the purpose of marriage was the precursor of the actual purpose of being fruitful and multiplying. That marriage was a means to an end. It does show Christ in the church as well, of course, um, and that that cannot be discounted. But the purpose of the joining and the union of of becoming one was to give children a stable place and to create a place where children could be born. So, my simple answer is that if you're Christian and you're married, you need to evaluate the reason for your nuptials, because it's not just for your personal pleasure. It's not just for the the act of marriage. It's for the purpose of giving stable, nurturing places a, a nest for young children to be brought into the kingdom of God, to be brought into the world, uh, to be brought up in the love and admonition of the Lord.
2: And... Um... I would add to that um that the bible doesn't seem to know about a couple who has chosen not to have children um has made that choice. Um when you just look through the bible children are viewed as a as a blessing. Um they're viewed as as something that kind of is taken for granted you would want. So um and that having your you know, I think this is a later question, but filling your quiver with them is a good thing, and if you're blessed with children, that's that's a blessing. Um, so, um, you know, the the question being framed: Are we required to? Almost makes it sound like it's you know something you're going to have to endure. Um, do we really have to have these things called kids in our marriage? You know, um, but um, the Bible views children as a blessing, not as a curse. Um, And so I would think we would want the blessing
0: of the Lord on our marriage in every way, which would include children. I I suggest that this question raises a few other questions which have been answered. The first question would be, are children a good thing? So if we're asking, are we required to have children? Is that a good thing? Are children a good thing? And Psalm 127 was raised last week when when everyone brought scriptures that dealt with parenting, and there's a lot of them. And it says, children are this heritage or a gift from the Lord. Now, the Old Testament saints believed that verse so, so simply and so completely that when a woman was barren, and you read of some of those women in the Old Testament, The Jewish mind was so incapable of of anything other than God gives children as his kindness that somehow a barren woman must be under the judgment of the Lord because he is not showing any favor to her. He will not give her children. Um, So when you read of Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, this righteous woman and her husband for decades and decades, and yet there would have been a stigma there would have been somewhat of a, an evil eye cast at Elizabeth and Zechariah because they didn't have children because God had not given them children. He could entrust all kinds of mongrel Jews to have kids, and so why wouldn't he give them children? It must be a sign. So we, we, we are far from that mindset in our day and age uh, when children are such a, a hassle and an expense and such, um, but we have to come back to the simple faith that children are a gift from the Lord. Well, believing children are good, do we have to have them? And as Dennis brought up, Genesis 1, the first command, the first imperative in Scripture is to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and I don't think that means we necessarily calculate what is the, you know, how many children do have to be born in order to maintain the population, you know, because who really can have 2.1 children in their home. Um, But I think we should just rationalize a little bit here. Think it through. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? Why is that the first thing out of God's mouth to his created human beings? Um, That'll help, as Clark addressed, uh, it'll help us think through that word required. Like, is that really the right verb for this conversation? And again, to Dennis's point, my third question is, should we separate the act of sex from the possibility of children? Um, And that's not that it hasn't been around for a long time, but the American culture in 1950 developed the oral contraceptive called the pill, uh, which was known as this great liberating act, because now women were free, but what they were actually saying was, now, now anyone was free... Uh, to engage in any kind of sexual activity without the risk, the threat of children. Uh, so there was nothing in the original design of that that had any medical value. It was, it was a philosophical design. Um, and while it may have medical use in some other ways, philosophically, the goal was liberate, liberate us to be able to live however we want, uh, without the threat or the risk of what the Bible calls a good gift to married couples. Um, and so in that question, there, there's worldview, there's biblical foundation, um, but I think the simple origins of Genesis show us um, that we should be starting awfully close to a, a, a clear yes. You are required to have children. Now, God is sovereign. Um, And certainly there's the heartache of those who are unable to have children. Um, He's sovereign and purposeful in both fertility and barrenness. So push it all into the realm of faith, but understand the Bible is massively tilted towards an overwhelming general principle of, yes, this is a good thing. Um, That leads to the second question, and they were phrased together. Uh, and how many kids should christians have and how do you know when your quiver is full that's a reference from psalm 127 as well like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them all right what's the magic number <laughs> <laughs> He's seven. We had seven. So, uh, uh,
2: I would say, um, you know, that's something that each couple has to seek the Lord about, um, and 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 pray that the Lord would guide them as they build this family and, and bless them with children. Um, so, but
1: seven. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good answer, but five may be a good number, too. Um, I I would say that our culture is so anomalous in human history. We are really, we are the oddballs. We are, we, if there is a screwed up culture, it's the modern American culture And the ancient cultures had it much more right in this regard than we do. Um, I would say that the influence of our culture, this idea of self-actualization and all the things I want to do, personal fulfillment, has led us to seek our own way. And we no longer value having many children, like previous generations had, and, and that probably goes without saying, but I, I think it's a precursor to what I really want to say. The Clemens are no exception. We totally bought into this. We had a five-year plan when we got married. Uh, God providentially saw fit to cause a conflict between medications, and we were pregnant four months after we got married, but that was not what we were planning. Um, what, what I'll say is that the Bible... In, in the its limited way of speaking to birth control is condemning of it every time. Uh, Genesis 38 you, you probably remember the story of Judah and uh, his sons Er and Onan and uh, Onan was married to Tamar. Um, Onan died and she was supposed to er was supposed to go to her according to tradition at that time uh, later according to the Mosaic law but in, at that time, Ur er was to go and raise up children to Onan, and this was seemingly a cultural norm and understood, and then God put his stamp of approval on it in the Mosaic Law. Ur er did not do that, and instead he, he practiced birth control, enjoying uh, Tamar but not doing the right thing. Um, and the Mosaic Law came along later on and said that's how it's supposed to be done, that he's supposed to raise up children to his bro- in his brother's name, um, and if he does not, if he does what Ur did, then she is to take him to the city council and shame him publicly by removing his sandal and some other things that has significance in those cultures. And so, scripturally, birth control is expressed as something that a man should be ashamed of. Um, so I sit here as a hypocrite before you. Uh, we did use birth control. We did buy into the cultural norms of our nation and our time. Uh, but I don't believe God endorses it. Um, and I'll say after the fact that, that if I, if I were to give you any biblical advice, well, let me, let me finish up with that. Um, I'll I'll say that... Uh, Job had 20. Uh, Abraham longed for God's promise to be the father of many nations and and have offspring as numerous as the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. Um, Closer to our time in the 17th century, Susanna Wesley was the youngest of 25 and bore 19 of her own. Um, The Guinness Book of World Records lists uh, a Russian peasant as having fathered uh, 69 children with his one wife. They had uh, 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets, 67 of them survived infancy, Um, and only in modern times have children become burdens instead of blessings. So the the real biblical advice I could give you is what Scripture says, be fruitful and multiply, um, and take seriously the... um, the requirement of the Mosaic law that says that if a man will not raise up children to his brother's name, but practices birth control, uh, he is to be shamed.
0: So here the language God uses to answer the question, and it's not a number. All right. He says fruitful and multiply in Genesis in Psalms. He says blessed and full. Um, So that's how God answers the question. Uh, The number's just hard to do. You know as well as I that you're not going to find the number of how many kids you should have. But we do have to be careful. Even the quiver full is a little bit of a misnomer because it's a little more active here in the language. It's somebody who is attempting to fill their quiver, uh, realizing the value. So the term full isn't intended to apply a minimal amount uh, if we were going by the actual literary example of a warrior and his arsenal, we would not ask how few is enough, we would ask how many is enough. Um, and a warrior might never be satisfied with enough. So if we want to talk quiver full, we're, we're kind of borrowing the biblical language as if there is a fullness that is implied when the idea there is like, no, no. Blessed is the one who who is filling his quiver, like the arrows keep coming um they're valuable, so uh quiver full I think often gets used as kind of like you know we've you know and you say your number, our quiver's full, and it's like, well, no, the text never implies that you reach a full point. The text is saying the warrior is actively seeking to use an increasing arsenal, um so it's. Just don't fall into that trap of thinking, well, the Bible does say your quiver can be full. It doesn't. It says you should be seeking to fill it because warriors want arrows. Uh, Do you want the goodness that comes uh, to parents in marriage? Um, Challenge arguments like kids are too expensive. I can't have more because each child deserves all of my attention. Uh, We want to enjoy the empty nester years. You know, when I got married at 29, I kind of had to say goodbye to the empty nester years. They're just not going to happen. I'm going to jump from active playing ball with my kids to hobbling along, you know, and, and with a walker. That I'm just not going to keep up with them. Um, but that's okay. That that's in God's providence. And and too often we put all this stock in these arguments, and it's like, oh, okay, I I understand, you know. Somebody in extreme poverty might be thinking, how are we going to afford all these children? But if God gave them and they're a blessing, then let's have some confidence that he has ways to provide and call you to be a provider. So uh, I say challenge those arguments, not because finances might not weigh into your thinking or um, your capacity for Parenting in some way, you know, with all these kids, you might start thinking, when is enough enough? I understand those kind of questions, um, but I just don't have a lot of biblical answers to give you other than fruitful and multiply, blessed and full, and then on the other hand, challenge arguments that don't hold water biblically. Um, So keep thinking these things through, I would say. Uh, pray, stay yielded, avoid selfishness. The choice has to be faith-filled. But we've been asked over the years, like, how did you know to stop at six? And, And I don't have a good answer for you because it was years of just thinking and wondering, or we could say like wondering out loud to God, like, what do you do here? You know, in our case, the medical factors of multiple C-sections, you start thinking, you know, this isn't the way God designed it, so when are we kind of pushing the limits here? And so even in that thought, we would think, you know, if we're going to say no more, the body can't take that, then I think we should be open to God saying, well, no, you're not done, we want you, I want you to adopt. So we wanted to have a mindset that was open to the goodness of God in giving children, but I can't deny that we were thinking through factors of uh, stuff that felt more in our control. Um, And that's why I say it it just has to be faith-filled. You can ask people this question again and again. You may like their answer, you may not like it, um, but it's going to come down to your walk of faith. So uh, hopefully that helps. You've got 765 to choose from, uh, and any other number that... God leads you to pursue. Question number three was, what advice would you give for structuring or prioritizing family worship? Um, So maybe any definition of family worship or any recommendations for how to go about that definition. And then if you have questions on on this or the other questions we answered, uh, we'll take a break and try to field some of them. So any thoughts on this idea of family worship, and maybe what it looked like even for your homes, just to help with ideas. This comes up often. It's come up in small groups, I know. Uh, Some of you have asked me about it. Um, Maybe at the end of these couple of weeks, I'll pile up some resources on the table that you can look through. Um, But let's hear some ideas. Um, So... Um, thinking about what
2: what is family worship?s so I hadn't really thought about that till you asked that question. Um, but to me, it's it is um, worshiping the Lord with your family. I mean, it, it's it. So my I guess my thoughts on it are to keep it simple. Uh, it's simply worshiping the Lord. If you are a worshiper of the Lord as a father then that worship should be involving your family. It isn't just you. Um, There are times where obviously you will be spending time alone as a father, but also with a family. So, um, you know, there isn't really a a passage that says this is how you would structure your family worship time. Um, But in our home, we kept it fairly simple. We read through a passage usually Um, throughout a month, we would read the same passage. Um, Read through that passage, we would pray together and we would sing a song together. And often we'd do the same song throughout a month. So at the end of the month, we found our children had memorized most of the passage just because of the fact we we recited it every day. We weren't like trying to make them memorize. We simply were reading this passage to them every day, reading, uh, singing a song. And we found at the end of the month, they knew the song. So, it was a great way for, for our kids to memorize scripture and to, to pray and sing together, to model for them how to pray. Um, and so, but you know, fairly simple. It isn't something has to be complex. A father doesn't have to make a sermon with three, three points and an outline for his family and stand at a pulpit in front of them and conduct a worship service, per se. Um, it's simply worshiping God together as a family. Um, However, on the one thing to say about that, I do think you can use that time as a time to train your children what it's like to be in church. So while we're reading this passage and praying and singing, we're expecting you to sit quietly. Um, So it can be a time to begin to train your children how you behave in church, uh, that you are quiet as the word is being read and and as we pray. Um, So those are my thoughts on it.
1: I, I like what Clark had to say about brief. Um, I think that it's easy to try to launch into sermonizing with your kids and they tire of it and you lose their attention very quickly. But if you're giving them proverbial or um, psalm-based devotional times and then start sprinkling in the gospel as they're able to comprehend that, um, eventually later on, some of them will start to ask questions that will provoke thoughts, and other children will start to hear those, and your younger children will probably deepen their understanding of Scripture by hearing the old one, older ones talk about it, because they're always willing to listen to their siblings before their parents. But um, some of that will just help feed the rest. Um, but if you, if you can start with the Proverbs, you'll, you'll show them what a sinful nature they have, and then as you start to work in the gospel, you'll show them the solution— for the sinful nature they have. And then as they become believers, then you can start to work in more theological concepts and Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechism and so forth and so on.
0: Deuteronomy 6, whether you're sitting down on purpose or walking by the way, uh, is a good example uh, because both dads and moms, especially in that walking in the way, are demonstrating the life of godliness. Um, but I don't think it's an either or. Uh, people often ask, well, I mean, should we, should we have a set time where we read the Bible? Or after all, my whole life is kind of teaching them. Well, I think Deuteronomy 6 and, and Matthew 28, the very essence of being a disciple maker, means not only that you're following, so you're walking by the way, you're doing it, but you're also teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. So, I don't think we get to choose, I live by example, or I actually communicate the truth to my kids. Um, Now, different people may have a different percentage in their balance. You know, they might be 70% example and 30% sit down and talk. Um, I understand how that could vary home to home, family to family, person to person. Uh, But I think we need to be doing both. And... If you're intimidated by the thought of teaching the Bible, then I would point you back to Clark's answer. He didn't necessarily say prepare a sermon. Um, he said they read the Bible. Um, so the simplest definition you find in church history of family worship, which isn't strictly biblical, you know, because then we'd go to Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6, or Matthew 28, it's discipleship biblically, But family worship, as the church has defined it, was generally characterized by read, pray, and sing. They felt like then you're teaching your children um, primary tools of worship that they will also encounter in the gathered worship. Uh, And like Clark mentioned, we have found this probably one of the better ways to build that quiet time and sitting still, because obviously with an age span, we'd be talking to teenagers while There's a four-year-old sitting there, and the four-year-old is clearly expressing with their lack of attention and such that they're bored out of their minds, and probably so. They might not be understanding what we're really excited about engaging in conversation with the older ones and violating Dennis's principle. Sometimes it would go 20 to 25 minutes, and yet we were insisting that Jenna or Evan at the time Uh, would sit still on the couch and tolerate it. Um, And the point wasn't because I want them to learn this content. It was because I want them to learn that we think this is important. I don't care if they don't understand it. I can't make them anyway. Eventually we know God's going to have to work in their heart. But I want them to know I think this is important. Mom and dad are doing this because this is what we say is important. We love this. Uh, And that's why we want them to sit still. It's because it shows that they're learning what we prioritize. Um, I can easily be entrenched in a football game and and there's a flag on the field and, wait, what happened? I'm trying to hear what's happening and somebody wants to talk and I say, "Hold, hold on, quiet a minute. Because I want to hear what happened and something I think is important. So why would I let my kid bounce on the couch when I'm trying to talk about the things of the Lord? If I don't fix that, I'm saying, it's not important anyway. And if I'm going to do it for the Chiefs game, I'd better do it uh, for the things that I think are important, uh, the things of the Lord. Uh, So family worship, it's not an intimidating thing. Uh, Your plan this week could be Proverbs chapter 1, and that could be your chapter for the month. And frankly, the, the kids that are at that very beginning stage of reading can read most Proverbs They're just one little verse, so they could go around and read one and be engaged, and there's just, there are a lot of ways and a lot of resources, but uh, I had written down Clark's very words, keep it simple, Uh, open the Bible, and then close it when you're done reading, pray that the Lord would help you to understand and obey it, sing a song, teach him a song, you know, sing it over and over that week, that month, Keep it simple, folks. Um, uh, sometimes I think the complication of it, the intimidation of it, is just it's all devil's tactics uh, to shut us down as parents from discipling our children. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll get on them when they don't, yes, ma'am, or when they don't clean up the table, and when they don't do their chores, when they don't do their homework. Um, but is that the essence of parenting? Uh, or is something about discipleship and passing on what is most important to us if that's what discipleship is, then let's, let's be doing that. All right, question number four. What is the most important thing a father should focus on? That's a hard question, right? Pretty big question. Um, let's at least begin an answer. Oh, wait, I said I'd take any, any questions or feedback. Any questions on should we have kids, how many, and family worship? If it's about how many, we'll probably just take a vote here and let you know. <laughs> Roy? Yeah, no, God is sovereign and purposeful in, in all of it, so we'll trust him. What else? Questions? Questions? Family worship, intimidating, daunting. Some of you are in the stage of teens, toddlers, or you will be, uh, and it just, it has its challenges and there aren't good answers uh, for what to cover other than what we've said, you know, help the little ones learn a little bit about being still and engage every, every, every interest, every Every open mind and raised eyebrow, like, engage that. Don't miss those opportunities, whether it is in a structured time or in those talking times. And more and more, uh, I urge you as parents, while you probably can sit down and, and specifically deal with the Bible, I think the walking by the way is the application of the Bible. You're teaching your children how to think so that, you know, When you're out and about and you know what they just saw on a billboard or you know what they just heard somebody say in the store, you know, and pretty vulgar or something, what are you going to do? Walking by the way, it is now time for you to apply God's word to that situation. Um, And with our world making Christians more and more unique because we're, we're, we're Lowering the bar, the Judeo-Christian ethic used to kind of hold everybody up to a standard, and that's pretty much gone. So more and more you're going to be standing right there in a moment when you didn't want to have to talk about that, and you're going to have to figure out how to talk about it because it, 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 it's bombarding your kids, and they need to see how to apply wisdom, God's wisdom, to that. All right, so back to our question number four. What's the most important thing a father should focus on?
1: Laura, you want to answer this one?
3: No. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jesus, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that the, the, the primary answer goes without saying that a father should focus on righteousness um, and living a righteous life. And, and I'm going to cut to uh, a very close number two. He should focus on the, his children's mother. Um, the, it's so frustrating as an elder, even just as a church member, to sometimes watch a family where one parent or the other is so consumed by parenthood that their spouse gets left behind. And so I can answer questions four and five in one breath to say that the, each spouse should be looking at the lifelong relationship as primary and that being their marriage to their spouse, and then giving proper attention to their children collectively without neglecting that primary relationship. Those children are given to us temporarily, and they are to be fired off as arrows into the world, but that relationship with your spouse is lifelong till death do us part, and if you allow that to be put on the back burner, broken down, broken um, down, one day you're gonna wake up with no children and wonder who that person is across the table from you at breakfast, and other people who might pay you more attention because they're dressed up at work start looking more and more attractive. And that relationship between spouses has to, must, always, never, ever, ever otherwise be primary. The children need to be dealt with, but they're secondary. They're a product of the marriage, not the other way around.
2: Um, So I would agree with that, Um, that really, I think the most important thing is that the father loves his wife. My mother-in-law always said children are God's little spies um, who, who constantly are watching, what are my parents doing? And children know us much better than we know ourselves. Um, and they, they, all, their full-time job from the time they're born is to study us and find ways to get around what we've asked them to do or find inconsistencies in what we're doing so that they can later on, you know, accuse us of those. Um, but they're going to see what you really think of your spouse. And if they see you loving your spouse, that, that um, I think carries through with them throughout, throughout their life. Um, and that there's great um, security in knowing that my parents love each other. Uh, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Dennis said, that loving your spouse is probably the most important thing.
0: All right, so we're saying, obviously, as a father, your own spiritual health, your walk before the Lord, because that will affect the second part of the answer. Uh, and then our parenting role of the father, like, seems to have been hijacked by a marriage conversation. Um, but I think that's biblical, because nowhere in the scriptures are we told this is this great mystery that parents have children. No, the great mystery is that a man takes a wife and they picture Christ in his church. Children don't even get honorable mention, like, right there and that. that That's Uh, The gospel is being carried by this marriage. Now, can we apply the gospel to parenting? Yes. Obviously, God has adopted us. That's the gospel. Um, Parenting's a big deal to God, but in priority in the home, um, here, the elders and scripture saying that marriage has to come first. Um, Just a little total explanation or illustration. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we we weren't even allowed to step foot into my parents' room. I can remember times they'd be like, mom would be like, hey, can you go get the wrapping paper? It's under the bed. And like my brother and I would just like look at each other like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> like, how do you get in there? Just a few years ago, my sister was visiting in town. She's married and has a handful of her own kids. Um, And the kids must have gone up because they're comfortable running into grandma's room. And they're in there talking to grandma on a little couch. And my sister is standing at the door looking around the corner. (laughs) It was so ingrained in her. Like, you know, no, that is not your place. (laughs) Um, So that's just an example of how I grew up realizing, okay, I, I knew dad and mom, they're together. And the rest of us, you know... Had better get on board with them or we're on our own. Um, But that's good and right. You learned, okay, that's the anchor. That's what makes everything else work. Um, Your kids know when you're not right. I remember a story when Jill was just a little kid. I don't even know if we had Claire yet. And Carrie and I were, were getting pretty heated in a conversation in the kitchen. And Jill was pounding her fork on the table. And there were all these little fork marks in it. Because she just felt the stress. She just knew something's not right. So, as Clark said, those little spies are watching. And, Dad, you're doing your greatest work when you're being that clear example of Christ in sacrificing yourself for your spouse. Now, in our home, again, anecdotally, uh, our decision, and I know some of you will do it other ways, um, in our home, there was never even a conversation about you know, whether a child would sleep in our bed. For me, I actually did have a conversation that it wasn't even going to be in our room. Now, granted, uh, that meant we were renting a little house that only had one room. And there was a back storage room that was unfinished. And guess where Jill moved when she was one year old? <laughs> uh, into the unfinished storage room with workbenches and plywood walls. Cause it, The option was not for me to be in the room Uh, you might think this guy is crazy Uh, no i'm just saying in our minds we kind of prioritize one way we're going to not let the everything be blended together in one big happy you know pioneer family was you know we'll have another place for them you may do that totally different so hear me clearly i'm just giving you an example of how we thought through that and applied it in our situation. You may apply it differently and and that's fine. Just make sure we agree to the core principles here. Uh, Husband and wife first, uh, then those children uh, and and that you'll find is nothing harmful. Uh, It's actually incredibly uh, solidifying uh, for your children. It's a a place of security as was mentioned. Uh, I would add one other thing uh, because if this question had assumed those truths, and we're asking, okay, but in, in the parenting process now, what's the role of the husband, the father? Um, I would say his role, according to Proverbs, would be to make sure that the voice of truth is being heard. Now, I think at times that means he's the one doing it, hear my son, the instruction of your father, um, other times, Proverbs mentions mother. And so I think, I think the father is responsible to make sure truth is permeating the home. But I, I don't want you to hear that moms never speak up, um, because I think we'll see in the next question that there's a lot of times mom's the only one there to speak up, and, and rightly should. Uh, and mother's carrying an enormous weight of discipleship responsibility. Um, So dads, make sure you're leading, but I didn't want to use that word first because it becomes kind of vague. Um, By that, I mean you're making sure truth is in this home constantly. Um, So let's bleed that into question number five. What is the most important thing a mother should focus on? Now, we've kind of answered that already with the marriage. Um, You can expand on that or Kind of expand on the whole answer.
1: I think I would, I would, um, I don't mean to repeat what I said before, so hear the nuance, if you will, but if the children understand that the mother presents herself in the family like the bride of Christ does to Christ, submitting to the goals that christ has for his church submitting to the goals that the husband has for the family Um, and she's leading the children in a happy joyous support role Um, like a colonel would to a general not like general to private the little children of their privates but she's not without authority she just submits happily to what the general says we're going to do and The general, if he's wise, is consulting with the colonel and um, making sure that they're wisely proceeding on the right path. So if she's showing and demonstrating the children a joyous submission and a willingness to support someone that she doesn't always understand and personally, quietly behind the scenes, does not always agree with, but she's demonstrating submission. She's demonstrating likeness because even Christ was submissive to the will of the Father. So um, I think she demonstrates a wonderful um, approach to righteousness and life in the home when she says things like, okay, 30 minutes, let's clean the house for Daddy. Um, I may hate cooking this meal, but I'm going to joyously pour myself into it so that uh, my husband has something to come home to. Um, you know, the the motherly instincts sometimes overwhelm all those things, and and moms will sometimes tend to prioritize their mommyhood over their wifehood, and I think that is a source of a terrible situation in the Christian church.
3: I'll speak um, antidotally. Is that the right? Um, that. My memories of it, which feel like a lot of blurry years that have gone by, Um, but I feel like we established early on, we didn't establish the no-bedroom rule, but they could really only come to our floor. Um, They weren't in our bed, and they could come if they didn't wake us up and they just wanted the presence of feeling like I'm close for a thunderstorm or a bad dream or something. Um, But we did establish this sense of God called mommy and daddy to this marriage, and this marriage is a reflection of how Christ deals with us, his church. And in that, he gave us the reward and blessing of children, which we are so grateful for those gifts, but they are temporary passing through relationships that we expect to grow up and follow and serve the Lord, and we will be on the other side.
1: Strangers and pilgrims in this land. <laughs> yes,
3: we will be on the other side. We will still be here. And so this was our home. And my relationship, I, I feel like I my striving was to honor that that first called ministry of being a wife and demonstrate that Love to my husband and, and that love and respect to my children, showing my children the love and respect I had for Dennis. And I think that they it provided so many teachable opportunities about who our God is. I had so many conversations about how daddy pictures provision, protection, love, attention, availability, Um, He's there. He listens to me. He cares. He takes on my burdens. He ran the vacuum. He did the diapers. He he did whatever needed to be done. And I saw other men in our circles doing the same thing. Um, And it gave me so many teachable opportunities to, to say, this is how God is with us. And this is what daddy wants to be to his wife because it pleases God. So my focus definitely, I would say, would be the marriage and, of course, my relationship with the Lord first and then our marriage and then, and then the children, the care of them and being on the same team with my husband, which was, I wasn't always. I was a big hypocrite at times. And, a, and the world will have every woman buy into that. Your first priority is the care of those children. And if you disagree with your husband, those are your kids too. And the devil loves to just do that. And we have to constantly ask ourselves, Who are we listening to when we hear that voice? And who are we agreeing with?
4: Well, I'll chime in just a little bit because I'm the other wife. Um, Yeah, loving your husband, but that's been said well. But I would say as a mom, be really happy to let your kids work with you. Bring them into your work. Don't set yourself aside in tension mode of, I've got a lot to do, you're in my way, so go do something over there. No, you bring them along from the littlest ones, you give them a wash rag, have them wipe down their booster. Will it be done well? Oh, probably not, but that really isn't the point. <laughs> it's, it's be happy to work with them, and your working is overall, in, a min, in many ways, you're, you're working for your, their daddy, we always had the four o'clock tr- um, chore time, four o'clock. And if I didn't say it, somebody in the house did, hey, it's four o'clock, which meant who, we were all home by then. We weren't still out doing, doing, doing. We were home. We were pulling the house together. And it was always picked up. It was always tidy. There was music on. It wasn't perfect. But there was established rhythm, and the rhythm kept it happy. And the rhythm was work there was always work happening. It wasn't that mom did the work and the kids did play. We, we worked together. Whether I was teaching an 18 month old to set the table, because we set the table when they're tiny. It's like, you're, that's a tiny person job, so they're doing that and the big people are, we have a very scary picture of David changing a ceiling fan in our family room which has a very tall ceiling and he had constructed this table on top of a table on top of a high stool it was very precarious he got the job done in order to surprise dad but the whole of our life was always what can we do when dad's not here so that when he gets back he's like seriously you guys he always had some way to make the, everybody go, he said it. Yeah, dad thinks we're the best. Because we were focused on, he'd go out of town. And whether it was always a blessing or not, <laughs> it was always the big delight. Okay, he's out of town for a week. What can we do mm-hmm. that we can, you know, we've done everything from gutting out David's old bedroom. It, it wasn't put back well, but we had a good time. Actually, it was put back pretty good, but David was 14. (laughs) Anyway, just work with your kids. Be happy with them.
2: Yeah, and I would, not much to add. Um, um, Probably, I would say it's important for the husband and for the mom to talk to the dad and vice versa about the children so that you are together as you are going through this path. What, what are we wanting to see in our children's lives? How are we wanting to go about this process together um, so that mom can act while dad's gone and, and not be saying, well, I know dad wants this done, but I think we should do it this way, so let's do this instead, which completely undermines everything <laughs> um, that should be there in the home. Um, but just making time for the parents to speak together and and pray together about their kids.
0: So same same order, spiritual walk, marriage. And let me give you three verses that I would say the woman's role should be, and this is kind of vague, not biblical language, uh, a spiritual atmosphere in the daily routine of life. All right? Uh, By that I mean Proverbs 31 doesn't follow up. Another chapter on the virtuous man, it's only this virtuous woman emphasis, and children rise up and call mom blessed. Well, on Father's Day, all the dads are like, Woo, like, what about us? Well, I think that's instructive in some way, especially when we add it to First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, where we're told that the woman was first in deception and sin in the garden, yet she'll be vindicated or validated or saved through childbearing. And the text goes on to say, if they, the women, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, why aren't the men told that they need to manifest those things? Well, because I think with Proverbs 31, we're seeing it's the mom that's kind of demonstrating that daily kind of atmosphere of, spiritual vibrance in the home. And then, the last verse is in Titus 2, when we hear the language of older women instructing the younger, but it's on what topics? Well, the topics we've answered. How to love your husband and keep children. The question isn't always the backdoor question. Can a woman have an eBay business? Or can she work outside the home? And It's like, no, let's go in the front door and just ask, what is the most important? And when you look at Proverbs 31, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2, you realize more than the man in the daily kind of atmosphere of the home, that spiritual temperature is being set by mom. Uh, And God recognizes that incredible role that moms play. So... Hear these answers and, then, and recognize the scripture speaks to something about home life for women that is unique. Men aren't instructed in the same way. So we feel equal weight of responsibilities, though different, that God has given us even in parenting. Um, study it out and we'll tackle some more questions next time. Lord, bless your word to us. Uh, help us to weed out the rudimentary thinking of the world and its influence and keep coming back to what do the scriptures say, even about this this matter of parenting, uh, and give us faith to believe your words, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.